about 40 years ago, Roy Schneider held a crying baby in the nursery, walked that baby down the halls of the church through the entire service, and one day that baby went on to work with children in a summer day camp. Mary Horton used to choose one child every week from her four-year-old um, Sunday school class to read the scripture for the day. Now, they were four, so they couldn't really read the scripture, but she would whisper the verse in their ear and then give them the privilege of reciting that verse out to the whole class. One of those kids fell in love with the Bible so much that they went on to develop an experience called the story that has introduced hundreds of people to the story of the Bible. Mary Waite was a fourth grade teacher, and she talked to her kids all the time about the glorious character of God, everything from his love to his judgment, and made the character of God so appealing that one of the kids from her classroom went on to make the character of God the central component of all of their teaching and writing. Barry Murphy was a coach in the middle school, and one day a kid went into his classroom at the end of school and just talked. It was a brain dump of everything that was on their mind going on in their life. And Barry created a place where that kid felt like they mattered and felt like they had a place to belong. And that kid went on to work with small groups at their church. Stuart Hall was the youth pastor. And Stuart Hall, while he was leading and teaching and preaching, also created a place where students could share a platform of leadership. And one day, several of his kids actually went on to lead ministries of their own. Marty Pulliam was a youth leader and talked one year at Bible school about the importance of having a quiet time. And one of those kids went on to write curriculum to help other people dive into the word themselves. I was the kid in all of those stories. And every one of those names, every one of those people were involved in a process in my life of discipleship. Small steps, small conversations, small moments, sometimes obedience for long seasons to bring transformation into my life. These were the people that gave me a place where I felt like I belonged. It's, it's the people that loved me when I was messy. The people that saw potential in me when I felt like a loser. The people that cast a vision for me of a life that was bigger than anything I could have dreamed on my own. And after, you know, spending several years since then as an adult, I could add so many more names to that list of people. In Matthew 28, Jesus gives his final command to his disciples. And he says, go make disciples of all nations. That was the plan. He didn't hand them a manual for starting a church. He didn't give them, give them a, a list of ministries to start with instruction, instructions on how to do those. He didn't give them an order of servants for a church service. He simply said, go make disciples. Go reproduce the life that I have created in you into other people. That was the plan. That was the way the kingdom of God was going to take root and be established and spread across the world. Make disciples. It was that simple. But then I also think it's interesting when I read this verse that he says, go make disciples and not go find disciples. See, a lot of times I try to go find disciples. Oh, I need somebody to, to lead a group, and so I'm going to go find a disciple. I need somebody to take over a ministry, so I need to go find a disciple. But Jesus said, go make disciples, which means it takes hard work. 
And so while the plan to make disciples may be simple, it's certainly not simplistic. It takes effort. It takes initiative. It takes intensity. One of the verses that's been um, a life verse for me is 2 Timothy 2.2. And we've got it. We'll throw it on the screen. Paul has come to the end of his life. He's in a dungeon. He's awaiting death. And he's giving his final instructions to Timothy, a guy that he's invested his life in. And he says to Timothy, the things that you've heard me teach to reliable witnesses, teach to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Once again, we see this charge to make disciples. It's not about continuing programs. It's not about continuing initiatives or experiences. It's simply take the things that you have been taught and pass them on to somebody else. And what we see here are kind of four generations, right? Paul says to Timothy, um, I've discipled you. Now you disciple faithful men who will be able to disciple others also. That's the, that's the work we get to be a part of. That's the privilege that we get to be involved in. Is at some point we'll be able to look down a line and see the people that are in our groups right now, what if one day those are the Timothys discipling the faithful men. And then they're faithful men discipling others. The reason we're here today is because those guys are crazy enough to think that this plan would work. And for 2,000 years, the faith has been passed from generation to generation to generation. I think there's four things that we've got to do well if we want to have depth to our discipleship. And so we're, you know, here tonight, you're small group leaders. You guys are my heroes. Uh, you, you're, you're the people that discipled me. It was small group leaders that discipled me as an as a, as a elementary school kid, as a middle school kid, as a high school kid, as a college kid, later as an adult. Um, small group leaders are, are the people that I primarily get the privilege of working with now at National Community Church. So grateful for who you are and what you do and for the fact that you took some time to invest here tonight. So um, I'm going to be throwing a lot of ideas at you. Some of, them are, are, um, some of them are probably okay. Some of them are probably not good at all. But hopefully there are a couple things that you'll be able to just kind of grab onto and say, I'm going to try that this week. I'm going to try that for the next month. Um, so here are some things that I think we've got to be able to do well. It's, it's mindsets, it's uh, tools, it's actions to make sure that we're making disciples. The first thing we have to do is we have to deploy x-ray vision. I think to be a disciple maker, you have to see things in people that nobody else sees. And you have to see things in people that they don't see themselves. Because we're called to prophetically call that out of them. Um, I, I love the story of when, um, when Samuel goes to the house of Jesse to anoint a new king, right? And, and Jesse calls all of his sons in so that the prophet can choose the next king. And Samuel goes down the line one by one, and the spirit keeps saying, no, not him, no, not him, no, not him. And he gets to the end, and he's probably feeling pretty foolish, like, I'm the prophet, and I, don't, I can't discern who the next king is. And asks Jesse, do you have any other sons? And Jesse says, well, yeah, there's the runt that's taking care of the sheep out in the field. And, and Samuel says, go get him. And then the moment that David walks through the room, Samuel knows this is the next king of Israel, anoints him, 
prays for him, prophesies over him. Samuel saw something in David that his own father didn't even see in him. Samuel saw potential in David that Jesse didn't even see. Do we have the ability to see things in people, to see the things of God in people, to call them out of them? Because that is part of the discipleship process. When Samuel looked at David, he didn't see a shepherd boy, he saw a king. When Jesus looked at Peter, he didn't see a loudmouth fisherman. He said, you're the rock, and this is the kind of faith I'll build my church on. When Barnabas looked at Saul, he didn't see a murderer of Christians. He saw someone who had the potential to take the gospel to the world. And when Paul looked at Timothy, he didn't see a young punk kid. He said, you be an example to believers everywhere. To be disciple makers, we've got to deploy x-ray vision. The second thing we've got to do We've got to be willing to make intentional investments. It's small conversations. It's small investments of time. It's small celebrations. It's investment over time, time over time, celebration over time that leads us to making disciples. I think as group leaders, there are, there are moments that are ripe for transformation. I call them, it's, it's kind of the big decisions, the big moves, and the big days. When people in your group are facing one of those three things, you have a prime opportunity to speak into it. Big decisions, those are the moments people are willing to pray. When they've got a big decision to make, a big decision about a job, a big decision about a relationship, a big decision about something that is, is being faced in their life, you have an opportunity as a leader to speak into that. The truth of God, to ask good questions, um, to help them um, figure out a way to align scripture and align prayer with the decision that they're making. Big moves. Again, they're, they're transitioning to a new job. They're, they're transitioning to a new city. Anytime someone is in the middle of a move, they're in a place that's ripe for transformation. And as a leader, you can harness that moment to speak truth, to pray, to encourage. And then big days. Is the kids moving towards graduation? Um, is, is there, you're moving towards a marriage, you're moving towards a new kid in the home. The big days are moments when people are open to transformation, open to a move of God in their life. And so as leaders, Look for the moments of transformation and make intentional investments there. Third, I think we have to be willing to practice long obedience. It's about long obedience in the same direction. I, discipleship is, is one of those you know, words that everybody kind of says, but we're not really sure exactly how it works a lot of times. And, and I think that sometimes there's discipleship that happens in a moment. One conversation, one interaction, one moment of engagement that brings transformation in somebody's life. When I shared the story about Marty, who was a, a small group leader and a, and a youth leader, and she just shared one time in one context, in one message about the importance of having a quiet time, and that changed my life. It was a discipleship moment, but it was a, it was a season of discipleship that just lasted for a moment. We see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus has a conversation with a woman at the well in Samaria. 
You, you can read the entire thing in about 20 seconds. And yet that one encounter, that one conversation, that one moment transformed her life. Jesus has one conversation with Zacchaeus, shares one meal with him. And he turns into a man that is extravagantly generous. There is discipleship that can happen in the moment. And so I think as small group leaders, we have a tendency to think that it's that meeting and that space at that time that we come together once a week that's the discipleship moment. But I would challenge us, what if we viewed every conversation we have as a potential opportunity to make disciples? Because it might be one, one comment. Sometimes, more importantly, it's one question that we ask. One word of encouragement, one prayer that can transform somebody's life. Discipleship for a moment. There's also discipleship for a season. And that's what most of us have signed up for, right? We're leading a small group. We're willing to invest a season in the lives of the people that have come into that. This is the kind of discipleship that Jesus did with his 12 disciples. It's the kind of discipleship I'm trying to do right now with, with a group of young leaders at National Community Churches. We spend a year together talking about the ways and the character and the mission of God and how we get on board with that together. Discipleship for a season is the kind of discipleship that we do in our small group environments. And we may not see change in those environments overnight. But if we're willing to invest for the long haul, long obedience in the same direction, then we'll see change. And then the other form of discipleship that we see in the Bible is discipleship for life. That's the kind of discipleship that Paul had with Timothy, apparently. And those are the ones that we can't necessarily orchestrate. We can't necessarily go looking for those. They just find us. At this moment in my life, I don't know who the people that I'm discipling, I don't know who I'm called to for life and who I'm called to for the season. But I want to invest in them that, that I have right now as though I'm going to be with them for life. Discipleship in the moment, discipleship in the season, and discipleship for life. That's just kind of some, some frameworks to think about how we, we engage with long obedience. And then the fourth thing I think we have to do to have tools in our tool belts is we have to not only deploy x-ray vision and make intentional investments and practice long obedience, but we've got to be willing to make disciple makers. It's about multiplication. See, when Paul was thinking about his discipleship, he wasn't just thinking about Timothy. He was thinking about the person that Timothy would disciple and the person that that person would disciple. And realizing that those others that would be disciples may not even know the name of Paul. Now, we all know Paul's name. But are we willing to disciple people in such a way that four generations later, those people are running hard after God? I believe that the only way that we can measure success in small groups is by succession, reproduction, multiplication. Are we reproducing the character and the ways and the mission of God in others and expecting them to then do the same? One of my mentors told me something one time that his mentor had shared with him that had wrecked his life. And then when he shared it with me, it wrecked my life. His mentor said, Dave, it will not matter. At the end of your life, um, the success of your life will not be measured in the size of the organization that you lead 
or in the size of the crowds that you preach to. Your success will be measured by how well you've discipled to the third and fourth generation. And when that was said to Dave, it wrecked his life. And when Dave mentioned it to me, it wrecked my life. Are we willing to make disciple makers and have vision that goes long? To realize that the people that are in our groups right now have the potential to lead a group one day. And not only lead a group, but they have the potential to turn people in their groups around to lead groups as well.